Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson, and each episode I bring someone in from the field of content strategy who's doing amazing work. And this week, I asked Bram Wessel, who is the principal and founding partner of Factor, to join me. And we'll get to our awesome interview in just a minute. But first, I have two things to share with you, and they are both favors. That's right. I need your help. Yes, you. Here's the first one, and it's a super fun one, which is this. I am going to be doing a listener Q&A episode uh, sometime before the end of the year. And in order for me to do a Q&A episode, I need your cues. And so if you have a burning question about content strategy, or even not a burning question, maybe it's a lukewarm question, but it's a question nonetheless. What I would like to have you do is to please call the uh, fancy Google Voice mailbox that we have set up just for you and for this purpose and leave me your question. I'm going to give you the number right now and then I'll also put it on the podcast homepage, which is contentstrategy.com forward slash podcast. The number is 510-858-6927. And if you can be the 10th caller, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not giving any special privileges to the 10th caller, but call and leave your message and hopefully you will appear on the podcast. Here's the second thing. I need four to five minutes of your time to help complete a survey for the podcast because, my friend, I want this podcast to be extra special and amazing just for you. So could you please visit contentstrategy.com forward slash survey, take a few minutes, tell me all your hopes and dreams and constructive criticism. Yes, I'm asking for that too. And that information will be enormously helpful as we continue to shape and grow the podcast in the months to come. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. All right, here's Bram. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Christina. So delighted to have you here. I am equally delighted to have today's guest, who is Bram Wessel. Bram is a Seattle-based experienced strategist and the co-founder of Factor, an information and interaction design consulting firm. He's been practicing experience design and strategy for 25 years with a particular focus on keeping the humanity in human digital experience, which I love. Bram, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. It's delightful to be here. And the sun is shining in Seattle, Washington. Uh, but by the time your listeners hear this, it will probably be back to our four hours of gray twilight. So, you know, every time I'm in Seattle, it's sunny. I'm not going to lie well, to you. I, I am starting to charmed life people in Seattle. Just tell everybody else it's raining and dreary all the time so that we'll stay out. Huh? Yeah. I might know something about that. See? All right. <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom of this, Bram. Hey, Bram, we met at, wait, was this the first time we met at the Enterprise Experience Conference this spring? Not really. We've been at a lot of the same events. We have a lot of mutual friends. Uh, I think we probably met we one. We really sat down and like threw down about content strategy. and Definitely. I, yeah. Okay. That's the first time we ever had an in-depth conversation. I think you came to Seattle on a book tour, you know, six or seven years ago. And that's probably the first time. Uh, but we didn't really meet at that point. So. Now, I know. See, I think you're just being polite because my suspicion is that I have met you 22 times. And, have <laughs> and I don't tell me if that's true, even though I know, I know it's probably true. 
Oh, uh, I'll keep that quiet. Yeah, you do it. Let's just high five. Okay. Hey, Bram, tell me about Factor. Well, uh, Gary Carlson was a taxonomy consultant. He had previously worked at a taxonomy tool maker uh, called Schema Logic. It's now part of a company called Smart Logic. And I was uh, an interaction design experience strategy consultant. And we had known each other from a past life because we went to college at about the same time and uh, at the same school at about the same time. And Gary called me up one day and he said, hey, I'm doing this project. This is the kind of work I do and I need some help with user research. So I did some user research for him. We talked to golfers. Uh, the client was a string of golf courses in the Seattle area uh, founded by Scott Oakey, who is a uh, Microsoft alum. And we were really happy with how it turned out. And Gary had been lamenting that there was not enough of a user-centered user research driven focus in the work that, that he was doing for his customers. And I was encountering more and more information dense uh, challenges. And so we did a few projects together. We did a big project for UW medicine and pretty soon it occurred to both of us that we should join forces. So we, we co-founded factor in about 2013 explicitly to focus on this challenge of bringing user centered design principles and practice to enterprise scale information problems. And that's what we do. And we've been doing it now for about almost seven years and it's going really well. So Bram, I have a lot of different folks in the audience for our podcast um, and some of them may not know what taxonomy means. Would you, would you do me the favor of just uh, giving a little insight into the practice of taxonomy, what it is, why we have it, why it's important? Sure. So a taxonomy at its very basic form is a list. And a lot of taxonomies uh, have, they have terms, they have concepts. And if you've ever uh, heard of a controlled vocabulary, that just means, okay, we're going to say that this is what this list contains and what it doesn't contain. And maybe there's a subject that unifies all the things in that list. And the things in that list can have relationships with each other. They can be um, you can have a tiered hierarchical list that has parents and children, or you can have a bunch of different lists that you interconnect. And that's sometimes called an ontology, which is a word that we only use if our customer uses it first. <laughs> um, and uh, in e-commerce, for example, this is how taxonomy uh, manifests itself. You have a customer-facing product taxonomy. That's a list of all your products. There may be uh, categories and subcategories within that list there may um, that apply to the categories, subcategories, and concepts or terms, in this case products, in that list. And all those things really make up the taxonomy uh, that is the taxonomy of a company's products. So what we do at Factor is we try to make sure to model these taxonomies in a way that customers can understand, uh, that makes sense to customers, that kind of reflects the mental models that people have in their minds about this set of products or this subject matter or, or what have you. So, so that's kind of at, at its basis what taxonomy is and how it gets applied to the work that we do. So what happens if the, if the taxonomy sucks or if there isn't a taxonomy? What, can you give me some scenarios in which uh, we should have a taxonomy when it comes to dense information sets, uh, but we don't? Yeah, uh, a lot of companies 
uh, have accidental taxonomies. So they, <laughs> they have lists and groups of things and categories, and sometimes they even have attributes, but nobody has uh, sat down and figured out, oh, okay, what's the best structure for all of this stuff? It just evolved organically in the organization. So what happens when a client or a customer comes to us with a situation like that is that we take a really deep look at it and try to expose some of the structure. And we also do user research to figure out how that company's customers or how that organization's constituents think about this information so that we can remodel the taxonomy based on how they, those customers might think. And if something sucks, you're going to have a lot of bad side effects. Uh, navigation might fail. Findability might be difficult. Search might not work. A really good example from some of our work in the past is a company that many people are familiar with, Crate and Barrel. Crate and Barrel had a really well-optimized process for what happens after you put something in a shopping cart. Great. They knew, you know, all the inefficiencies in that funnel and they could have an A-B testing and user usability study regime that would allow them to keep that really well uh, functioning. What they didn't understand is why people couldn't find products to put them in the cart in the first place. And the first rule of, of e-commerce, I'm just picking on e-commerce right now, is... It's so easy. <laughs> People can't buy products they can't find, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right? Crazy talk. So what we worked on with Crate and Barrel was pre-cart findability. So what are some of the reasons why people can't find things? And one of the uh, things that we discovered is that the attributes that they had were either incomplete or not detailed enough, or some of the products they had were misattributed. So... Uh, by remodeling their attribute sets and cleaning up some of the poor uh, tagging quality of the attributes, we were able to increase product findability. So they could then start to measure that part of the, of the funnel, everything that happens before a product gets carded. So that's an example. Um, there are some other examples from search and navigation we can get into uh, if you want to, or we can move on to another topic. Let's do it. Nope. Examples are great. And, and okay. let, me be, let me be perfectly transparent. So my areas of expertise are mm, not in taxonomy. And so, and the first person to ever explain taxonomy to me was actually Rachel Lovinger, Lothies, many years ago. And it still is a topic whenever somebody comes to us and they're like, we're interested in taxonomy. I go, oh, I feel dumb. So this is actually very helpful for me to hear uh, different ways that people explain it. And, and a big part of why I wanted to talk to you about it is that uh, you come at it with that user-centered focus. So it's not just, you know, okay, let's dig into meaning, but it is really linking basic uh, UX and IA principles, which is, well, how do people actually think about these things? And let's do the deep research to find out. So lay the examples on me. I want to know different ways in which taxonomy is important and how it helps and how it can, uh, how it can backfire. Sure. So uh, one of the um, projects that we did recently uh, a customer brought us in. It was a large um, auto parts manufacturer that many people have probably heard of. And they brought us in to help them find a new search engine. <laughs> and once we got there, we discovered that, well, you know, the search problems that you're encountering, um, you know, searches being unsuccessful, searches being abandoned, poor click-through rates on search re engine results page, that kind of thing. Those were actually a trailing indicator 
of the real problem, which was that the information that the search was, was looking at, that basically the index uh, was just not very sophisticated or, or complex enough to reflect the true complexity of their, their product line in a way that was useful for their customers. So what we did was we looked at search logs and we did some user research. We looked at search logs as the starting point to see where vocabulary was not matching with search results. And then we uh, did some user research to figure out what mental processes were going on that were leading to this uh, experience not performing as well as they wanted it to. And one of the things that uh, often happens is that search engines can be very finicky and you have to teach them what in the taxonomy world we called our preferred terms versus alternate terms. And another way of saying that is synonyms. So if you have a site search and you don't type in, as a user, you don't type in exactly the right word and therefore you can't find something, uh, then uh, you need to teach the search engine that, oh, there are alternate words that mean similar things, or there are other signals that uh, we can look at that can uh, help us figure out what the user might need if they uh, aren't using the word that exactly matches uh, what the search engine believes that concept represents. Another example of this is from some work that we did with Adobe. And uh, with, we've done lots of user research with Adobe and uh, we've tried really hard to understand uh, how users think about Adobe products and the concepts within them. So Adobe products are notoriously high learning curve. They're difficult to really achieve basic competency or mastery with like Photoshop. Uh, over and over and over again, we had users, uh, participants in our user research studies say, I don't have the words. I don't know the word for that. I don't know what the Adobe word for that is. Whoa. When they tried to find support content to help them figure out how to solve a problem or how to do something in Photoshop. So that's the, really the crux of the issue is what kinds of vocabularies do customers have and how do you tune your information infrastructure to be responsive to the vocabulary that they have. Well, and it's got to be a shifting vocabulary too, right? I mean, it's the people that are like, I don't know what the Adobe word is. They're still going to have 50 different words that they use to describe what it is that they need. Right. And it's exciting right now because we can start to teach machines to interpret a variety of different signals and learn what some of the alternate terms might be on their own. So we can use uh, natural language processing and machine learning to help search engines and uh, other digital experiences get smarter over time about vocabulary. Uh, that's uh, hopefully never going to replace the need for a good librarian uh, or an information scientist who really understands information structure well and can curate it. Uh, but we can harness the power of those machines to uh, make our experiences a little better. So that's AI, and that's a little scary. <laughs> it's not really. Just every time I hear machine learning, I'm like, ah, yes, that's AI. I learned about that in a talk one time. So tell me about, we, we kind of uh, were chatting a little bit about information management in the, in the enterprise environment. Um, tell me about, so, so you talked about how uh, we're starting to teach machines to, to start to recognize these different um, 
nuances within language and so on. But what are some sort of common challenges that you see it within enterprise information management and how, how are you, what are you excited about in terms of opportunities for solutions in terms of the work that, that you've been doing? Yeah, that's a great question. And we encounter a lot of organizational misalignment that is reflected in the information ecosystems in our customers. Really good example of this. Say, let's say you're a big semiconductor manager, manufacturer, and you have uh, a marketing budget of, oh, I don't know, $2 billion a year. I want those people to call me for content strategy. <laughs> Perhaps we can arrange that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> you need to understand the effect that your marketing campaigns are having on sales. Problem is, what's a campaign? You go around the organization, you ask seven different people, and they give you seven different answers. Or they say, well, you know, I mean, everybody knows what a campaign is, right? And, but they, if you probe a little bit more deeply, nobody really knows. So when it comes time to assess and measure the impact of marketing on sales, if you don't know what a campaign is, how are you going to do that? In the case of our customer, it took a mob of people and weeks and weeks to come up with sort of an approximation of what the impact might be. And if you're spending $2 billion a year on marketing, that's, that's like a $100 million a quarter kind of problem. And the reason that this, this situation existed is because nobody had gotten together and said, as an organization that does campaigns, because we're a marketing organization, we're going to define a campaign. We're going to define the campaign for all the different types of campaigns that we do. We're going to define the core structural elements of a campaign. And we're going to give campaigns uh, unique IDs that can travel with them through all the systems and all of the processes and operations that we have so that we can compare apples to apples instead of to oranges and pineapples and grapefruits as we track the progress of our campaigns throughout our organization. So that's uh, a situation where multiple different accidental taxonomies have led to this kind of tower of Babel and an organization can't really measure how well it's performing. That's really exciting. That scale of problem is really exciting for us. It's fiendishly complex because in this case we had about 30 taxonomies or 30 different systems and 25 taxonomies. I don't even remember where it was and it's only increased since then. And we had to normalize all that stuff. We had to do that not just with campaigns, but with, with hundreds of fundamental concepts that are really important to the business that they need to be able to measure. So to me, that I think every organization is waking up to the reality that their information is a core strategic asset that has tangible value. And that it's, in a lot of cases, it's a big mess. Well, and you know, I think that what's interesting is that the other big mess is the way in which people are, and this gets a little bit meta, but the way in which people within the organization are communicating about that information, right? Mm -hmm. Because isn't yeah. that ultimately one of the huge purposes of taxonomy is not just to make things manageable and findable, but so that people can literally be speaking the same language when they're talking about what they yes. need to know or what they need to accomplish or where they need to collaborate or how they're going to measure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And as more and more companies go through digital transformation, 
that communication is conducted in systems or via digital means, not just, you know, email and Slack, but you know, you're actually using systems to, to <laughs> communicate between groups. And a lot of that is semi-automated and every organization has an information supply chain. Uh, this concept comes, the first place I ever heard this was Nate Silver speaking at the 2013 Information Architecture Summit in an interview with uh, Lou Rosenfeld. Uh, and every organization, that, that just struck me as true, every organization has an information supply chain. Nate was talking about, you know, the information supply chain of polling data and election forecasting. But the larger your organization is, the more stratified or um, fragmented or uh, distributed your information supply chain is going to be. And so everybody needs to have to define their terms and have a common vocabulary, even to be able just to talk about all of that information. You're absolutely right. So let me ask you a question, because this is, when people ask me this question, I roll my eyes and stomp out of the room because I think it's a stupid conversation, except ultimately it's not. It's overwhelming and confusing, and, and, but I just leave because I'm scared. So it talk to me about this word content, because you have been talking about information systems and information complexity and managing information and communicating about information. When we, and there are information architects, and somehow within the realm of content strategy or content design or product content strategy or whatever, content became the word that we talked about. When you're in organizations, are, are they differentiating between what they're calling information systems and content systems or content ecosystems? Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of uh, people who have defined content much better than I'm going to. Um, I'll just say that for our purposes, content is information that uh, is grouped to have meaning for a specific purpose. And so in a lot of cases, what we're modeling is both the, uh, you know, the full taxonomy, the full ontology, the full information model. Uh, but what it's addressing is pieces of content. So for example, going back to Adobe, they wanted to, they had uh, learn help and support content that had kind of evolved organically and it was a huge mess. They didn't have any kind of governance over who could create content for what purpose and didn't have any redundancy checking built in. They didn't have any kind of uh, uh, way of describing that content that would allow them to, to figure out when things were redundant. And so the work that we did with them was really uh, about creating a content strategy that was driven by taxonomy and attribution so that there was a system of meaning. We were describing the content of the content. We were saying, okay, we've got all these videos, we've got all these articles, we've got all these uh, you know, little fragments of text that are floating around, we've got images, we've got interactive tutorials, but what is being talked about or being described or being uh, addressed inside all of these pieces of content. And so we created a model, which was really a content model inspired by the work of people like Rachel and people like uh, Karen McGrain and people like uh, Sophia Wojcicki-Prater, um, which 
defined the content of the content. So you had products. Products appeared in all these different content types. Uh, you had tools, tools within products. You had problems. You had questions. You had step-by-step -step techniques. And by creating this model to describe what was inside all of this content, we could assemble it in a lot more sophisticated ways. So when I think about enterprise content strategy and I think about uh, content, I think that, that this is also a universal challenge that a lot of companies have, have similar to, and a lot of, you know, not just companies, but organizations have similar to what I described earlier with the, the information uh, ecosystem and supply chain. Companies and organizations are waking up to the fact that they're not just in the business they thought they were, whether that's selling widgets or providing services to constituents, they are also in the content business. They have all of this content that they need to provide really rich digital experiences for people to access and use. And by creating taxonomies and ontologies that describe all of this content, we can give that content handles. We can say, all right, we've got an attribute set that allows you to manipulate this in a certain way. We've got relationships between different pieces of content that allow you to order them or arrange them in a certain way. And that's, that's really when we're interacting with content, that's what we're focusing on. And there's almost no case in any organization or company that we work with where content, the content that they're managing, the content they have, the content, even if they haven't really thought very carefully about it, there's almost no case where that isn't part of our work. The information model that we're building needs to address content. So as you're talking, I keep coming back to what you were saying about, you know, the sort of accidental taxonomies pop up everywhere um, around, you know, whether it is like sets of information or content or, or so on. And the work that you do is to really go and create order to that. How like when you're talking about making choices around sets of content, I'm thinking, okay, well, somebody, whoever is in charge of that, or whoever is doing it has got to have uh, some kind of information management training or background. A, B, how do you keep, how, how do you maintain and establish governance for this stuff? Because once you've got things, you know, sorted, how do you keep them sorted? Right. So two, two things here. So we encounter situations where there's a team of full-time taxonomists. That's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then there are other situations where nobody has any kind of information management or information strategy expertise. Uh, and in both of those cases, uh, usually we are brought in because we have an independent outside perspective. And whether it's the expertise that they need or if it's the independence that, that we need, the role that, that we play is to take a, a, an unaided look at what exists and to help people create clarity around it and create order around it. The second part of your question is governance. And uh, governance is one of the things that is a huge part of our, our capability set. We do governance planning and uh, create governance strategies. Uh, and in, in governance, the challenge is figuring out what is the best model for basically change management, for um, 
you've got a set of information. How often does it need to change? Um, what's the procedure for changing it? Who needs to be consulted uh, when it's changed? In highly regulated environments, we have some customers in healthcare. In environments like that, there are all kinds of uh, rules and regulations imposed by the government, like HIPAA, about what uh, can and can't be touched. So uh, we need to factor that into uh, creating a governance framework that's flexible enough so that uh, the information is usable and you can manipulate it and make changes to it, but that's rigid enough um, so that uh, you don't have people making changes willy-nilly and degrading the quality of the information and the content. That's the situation that Adobe had. There were too many people with too many rights to be able to create content anytime they felt like it. So as an organization, they needed to come together and establish a consensus about what the ground rules were for who could create what, when, and why, and uh, uh, create a, an editorial loop so that people with eyes on the entire set of content could you know, determine if it was fitting into the overall content strategy. Governance is the most non-one-size-fits-all thing there is. Every organization has different needs when it comes to governance. Uh, so it's, <laughs> as a sort of a consulting practice, it's not really that repeatable. We just need to get in there and see how the organization is structured, what some of the information workflows are, whether that's uh, content publishing or whether that is making changes to, uh, you know, a core vocabulary, and then figure out what governance, whether that's, you know, rigid or whether that is loosely coupled needs to be for that organization. The real key is that we don't want something that's brittle. Brittle and rigid are not the same thing. You can have a semi-rigid governance framework without it being brittle, and it has to if it is brittle, you're not going to be able to uh, make the changes that you need to in the amount of time that you need to to support whatever um, whatever organizational functions the information needs to support. So isn't that interesting that you are a factor that does human-centered taxonomy per se, but that you're also in the business of governance, like almost <laughs> like look, we can give you this work, but if we just walk away, it's not going to make any difference. And so we want to stick around and put a, help you put a framework in place to make sure that it, is, that it can be sustained over time. Absolutely, yeah. Sustainability in our world means how durable is the information model that we deliver you and how maintainable is it? Uh, what we find often is that we are organizational alignment consultants. So we're going into an organization and we're figuring out where all of the uh, centers of power are and we're helping those organizations through sort of the side door of their information restructure uh, their power centers so that they can use their information more effectively. And <laughs> it's, this is one of the, the sort of the meta things about the work we do is that we, we find that when we're at the level of information, there's a lot of power involved in that. And when you start to make changes to that, you run into a lot of conflict and a lot of friction. Um, but once you resolve that, there's, uh, there's great power in the flexibility that it gives you. And in terms of, of sustainability, another thing that we do is implementation consulting, where 
all of these uh, information models that we deliver need to get implemented somehow. Even if they're just managed in a spreadsheet, they're probably going to need to get implemented in a content management system or a DAM or uh, maybe an ERP or a CRM. There's acronym SOUP when it comes to these big uh, enterprise class systems. Uh, and we often, there's a million small details um, because each of those pieces of software has a different set of modeling capabilities, ways that the information can be modeled and structured. Uh, another thing that we do is uh, sometimes we will help organizations. Um, I just had a phone call about this earlier today, help organizations get a tool that's specifically designed for that. There's a handful of tools like Synaptica, Pool Party, Semaphore, Top Raids, a lot of tools not a lot, actually, just a handful of tools uh, out there that are called taxonomy or ontology management tools that have really sophisticated modeling capabilities and real-time API-level integration so that all this information can be shared across these systems really, really efficiently uh, and don't have to be imported and exported by hand uh, with a spreadsheet. Graham, what kind of a person do you have to be to do the kind of work that you do? Like, what are some of the personality traits? Well, I was an English major in college, and I'm really fond of wine and fly fishing and, uh, <laughs> and indie rock. So I don't know. I if did not ask for your fun. Tinder profile, Bram. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if there's uh, a personality type. We have people who have come from a lot of different backgrounds working for us at Factor. Uh, we have somebody who who changed careers after working for a medical device manufacturer. Uh, we have people who have MLIS, you know, library science degree. I think you have to have a passion for really, really uh, wicked problems. Um, we tend to go really rigorous on, on the work that we do. Um, so, so that's one of the, the personality traits. Uh, you, you have to be curious. You have to be really interested in human behavior and, uh, and how people think in, in psychology to be interested in this work. And I think you have to not be afraid of scale and complexity. You have to think of those as, as fun challenges uh, rather than daunting ones. And I don't know how I managed to, to get to that place. Uh, I think just doing it for years and years and years sort of led me in that direction. But I've always kind of been fascinated by technical, complex things, so. Well, I will say, um, I think that anyone who is interested in technical, complex things, who comes at it with the lens of um, making people's experiences better <laughs> when they are encountering uh, yeah. that, you know, whether it's an information asset or a product or, or whatever, like, those are the people that are helping lift up our our discipline and our shared practices throughout uh, content and UX and, and so on. So, and I just think you're one of those people and that's why I was excited to have you on the show. So thanks a lot oh, thank for you. joining me. I appreciate that's it. That's kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been my pleasure. Bram, where can people find you online? Uh, factorfirm.com. That's all one word. F-A-C-T-O-R-F-I-R-M.com. I'm also, all of my profiles are boringly just my first and last name. So it's Bram Wessel, B-R-A-M-W-E-S-S-E-L on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. That's pretty. I'll find you everywhere. Yeah. Great. Well, I hope the sun continues to shine for you, Bram. I think it will. I think it will. That was the best closing line I've had on all my podcast episodes. Wow. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I know. It's a low bar. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is produced by Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy and makers of fine conferences and workshops. Please visit braintraffic.com for more details and sign up for our mailing list to hear about new workshops, dates and locations, as well as content strategy insights and little personal notes from me with hilarious jokes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. Our podcast is produced by Podcast Press, transcription services by Rev.com and Heather Hagel, show administration by Bailey Miller and Amy Pletch, show art and music by Sean Tobridey. You can find even more episodes, including transcripts and links to resources mentioned in the episodes at contentstrategy.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.